first time I met Maddie, she was reading poetry at her high school's open mic night. And it was mostly for poets that were younger. And I was in my mid-20s. And throughout that time, I, you know, got to know her a bit through her poetry. And when I found out at one point via Facebook that she had moved to South Korea and joined the military, I was pretty surprised because the Maddie I knew uh, seemed to have a lot of feelings and was definitely deeply poetic and artistic, not to mention, I believe at at least one point she had blue hair. Uh, But I always wished her the best in her journey. I just... It was never a a judgmental thing. It was more a, hmm, I wonder if there's more to that. Well, years later, I found out that there was absolutely more to that. And I was mind blown by the answer. This is how we get by. I'm Monica. I hope you enjoy the show. We're recording now. <clears throat> so, um, so I'm here with Maddie. Uh, I've known Maddie a while um, because of the poetry scene, which I will ask about in a little bit. Um, but hi, Maddie. How are you? I'm well, Monica. Thank you for having me. Uh, How yeah. are you? I'm pretty good. Um, as I said, kind of hanging in there and doing the best to stay sane. Um, so I guess just to get the show started, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So my name is Maddie Brzezewski. I am a poet. I am 21. I'm prior service. Uh, Up until about three weeks ago, I was an English major at Kutztown University. Um, I guess now I'm an English major at the University of My Couch, sponsored by Kutztown. I'm glad you have have a sense of humor about it, though. That's cool. (laughs) I think humor is a very important coping mechanism in times like this. If we can joke, if we could laugh, we can get through Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I, oh God, yeah, for sure. I feel like I've been, this has been teaching me to laugh about things because they're just, um, like I, I got in an argument with a close friend like not long before like the world turned upside down and then it's just like, like the timing was just so terrible and like I felt like, um, you know, I just felt like it was, like, something that had happened, I guess, for both of us. But it was just, like, the timing. Then, like, a week later, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, we're all getting sick. Like, we, you know, like, I don't know. It's just weird. There's a component of, like, really, like, just strangeness, I guess. Yeah. 
And, like, for me, like, you have to laugh at it. Because I have to be, like, like, in me, I'm like, oh, I took so long to, like, bring anything up and, like, get to that point. And now I got to that point and then the world turned upside down. Like, I mean, for me, like, I just laugh about it because you have to, right? And it begs the whole, what's the worst thing you can happen if you talk about your issues? Yours brought about the literal end of the world. So. <laughs> And yet, here we are, so the end of the world wasn't that bad. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I love that response. Oh, my Lord. Thank you for that, like, little tidbit. So, okay, so you're now a student of your couch. Um, what You said you're studying English. How is it going, being on your couch and studying English? I have to say, the way that we learn is so different when we're in a face-to-face environment, even if it's as much as, like, taking an online course in a classroom, because we type up everything that people lecture at us, it is what it is, but Mm -hmm. the mind state that you're in when you actually have to get up and get dressed and go to that environment compared to, well, I think I can have BoJack Horseman on in the background right now, it'll be fine, I can pay attention. Absolutely. (laughs) so different to me it's it's jarring <laughs> it is but uh it's definitely been going by the grace of god it's getting there <laughs> yeah so is it so you're definitely finding it like hard to concentrate and like well not even concentrate but i know what you mean like there's like this like multitasking that kind of happens cuz i'm working from home as well i have like my set hours still I really have, like, been training myself to stay focused, but, like, it's just little things. Like, it's like, oh, let me make a pot of coffee now. Like, okay, like, that's only going to take, like, two seconds. But then in the meantime, like, I realize that I have to open a new thing of coffee and then I have to clean out the old one. Like, it's just, and then all of a sudden it's, like, ten minutes have gone by and I'm like, whoa, like, if you were at work, like, this wouldn't be happening, so... It's kind of like having to make yourself, like, be disciplined in a way. But that's in your house, and your house is supposed to be, like, a place of leisure and fun. So, like, it's kind of, like, hard to adapt, I think. Exactly. So many of us, especially those of us who have struggles with mental health, are so big on how important routine is. Mm -hmm. So what that this is what I do and how I do it gets messed up in any way. It is just a mad scramble of, I read a thing the other day and I think that it's very applicable. People saying that the quarantine means we're on airport time. Uh Wow. (laughs) Airport time being you get off a plane. It's seven in the morning. You know what? Have a drink. You're going to bed at 1 PM. Go ahead. And I think a lot of us are really feeling that right now. So having to now work on stuff in an airport is so jarring. (laughs) Yeah, and, and like, on um, a weird kind of time schedule. Because for me, like, I'm all over the place now. Like, I get off of work around 7.30 and then, I mean, usually I'm still, like, driving home. And then I get home and I have to do, like dinner and everything but now it's kind of like my meals I've decided to cook ahead because you never know what you're gonna have at the grocery store so I don't really need to like cook like I it's just weird so then after work I'm like stressed so I'm like I'll just take like a nap or something and then like last night for example I woke up at 11 30 at 
and like I had been sleeping since seven but I was panicking because I thought I was late for work because I'm like oh my god it's 11 a.m like I'm supposed to be at work by now and then I'm like wait no it was just a mind fuck like it really was like I was just like okay and then you know then I just kind of do what I need to do until like 1 a.m and then I fall back to sleep and I'm just like what is this like this is so strange (laughs) but um I wanted to ask what are some of if you don't mind sharing the mental health struggles uh, that you've faced in your life? So my life has been, from a very, very, very young age, mm-hmm. a struggle mainly with depression. This is a mental health podcast, so there's already a trigger warning, but I had my first suicidal ideation when I was, I think the record, it was 10, oh, 11. So it has been a long-term struggle with that. I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder when I was 16. Uh, They were also toying with two other diagnoses. Um, One therapist wanted to diagnose me with um, bipolar disorder. With a what disorder? The other wanted to diagnose me AD. Uh, Say again, I'm sorry, you cut out of it. No, that's okay. What, What did they want to diagnose you with? A what disorder? Bipolar. Oh, okay. Yeah, so one therapist wanted me to be bipolar. The other one said, no, you just have ADD. My mother said, you don't have any of those things. Here is a bunch of essential oils and natural pills to help. I think it was alkaline alignment she wanted. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I think there's like 15 to 20 pills a day (sighs) that were just these random little like vitamin things. Then I went to join the Army, had to get the ADHD diagnosis and the bipolar diagnosis struck from my record as unconfirmed so I could join. I was wondering about that. I really was. Yep. Had to go cry to my... I was 18 years old sitting in a pediatrician's office. Like, I've never had another doctor. You're my doctor. Can you help me, please? Wow. Ugh. So, but, uh, so what, how did it, I have a, I have a plethora of questions, but to you, um, what, like, how was it in the military for you then? Like if, and then, so if you got like all these things like stripped and, um, like, so to speak from your record, I don't even know how these things work, but I do understand that like the military looks into that. Um, so how, like, like, I guess my first question for you is just, like, how did you decide, like, I'm definitely going into the military knowing that they look at these things and they're, like, I, I'm going to need to do work to get past that? So, one of the things that I had going for me was a lot of these diagnoses were older. I had them under the age of 16. Which you're not supposed then- to have some of those, by the way, so that's wrong. Um, right. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> So, also, as much as I fought with my mother when she was all like, no, you don't have anything, we're going to do natural medication, you don't need anything, Um, not being on medication, it was just a diagnosis that was there that was never acted on. So it was able to be like, oh, misdiagnosed, hormone disorder, grew out of it, you're fine. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, that is something that the Army would accept. You could have... 
you can have a lot of things and get them wavered or get them reevaluated and uh, still join. Hmm. But uh, it worked out for the most part. So I joined the army when I just turned 18. I actually signed up still under President Obama. Okay. Because I, like, three days before the election, because I knew I was not going to sign up. I was not going to put my name in under Trump. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, that, that gave me chills, so kudos to you on that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But, uh... So what did you, so what, like, what made you decide to, you know, take that step? Like, what, what, what was your, like, aspiration to join? College is expensive, and if you want to beat capitalism, you have to sign up to, uh, to die for it, apparently. So. Oh, my Lord! Oh, wow, this is, like, a soul conversation for me. Uh, it was also, um, I have a very, very, very long military history in my family. And it seems that, like, every generation, at least one of us goes off and does something with it. And uh, it was going to be my cousin Matthew, but he fell into some um, medical issues. His sister fell into some medical issues. They couldn't do it. I was like, well, alrighty, this sounds fun. I don't want to go to college yet. This will make college way more so in your fam- so in your family, you guys like you have a tradition where at least one person does something with the military. It seems so. Um, we can stretch back pretty far. My father's grandfather was in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam in three different branches. Wow. He was in the Navy in World War II. He was in the Army during Korea the Army Air Corps before the Air Force was a thing. Then the Air Force became a thing, and he was in that for Vietnam. Oh, my, oh, my Lord. Wow. I actually had a a really wonderful experience with that. Um, So with my military travels, I ended up living in South Korea um, for about a year, all of 2018, all of 2018. And that's where my great-grandfather was stationed way back when. Oh, my God. In a battlefield out there that they take troops to to be like, hey, this is where the very first battle was fought, where somehow the U.S. military held off 19 tanks with, like, 30 dudes. And they said, since people have been coming here, we have been showing them this battlefield. Like, oh, that's cool. 50 years later, I'm having to do the same shit my grandpa did. you think they would have updated it by now. <laughs> wow. So how was that? Was that, like, kind of surreal for you to be, like, in the same place that your grandfather was, like, so far? Like, it's like, you say it's, like, kind of this tradition in your family, um... For me, like, I'm just kind of, like, looking at the, like, deeper meaning, and I'm like, wow, like, it didn't work out with your cousin. Like, obviously, you seem to be the chosen one, and then not only that, but you end up being in this same exact place that, like, your grandfather was. It was absolutely surreal. It was also amazing. So I actually, thankfully, I had the opportunity to meet him, considering he... I think he died in his 90s. Mm. Wow. Um, his wife is still alive right now, my great-grandmother. Wow. But uh, I think she's in her late 80s. Okay. 
But um, my dad obviously knew him very, very well. And before I even found out where I was going, I told my dad, I'm like, hey, I signed up. I was like, hey, if you can send me overseas, send me overseas. Like, I don't care where. I don't care if it's Germany or Afghanistan. Get me out of this country. Yeah. He laughed at me. He's like, ah. If you end up going to Korea, your grandfather is going to be rolling in his grave because he said he'd go back to Vietnam first. I was like, oh, alrighty. So when I ended up going to Korea, I was there with like just such agita because I'm like, oh, God, what made you want to go back to Vietnam instead of this place? Like, what was so wrong with here? Uh huh. But it was beautiful, amazing places I've ever been in my life. And. If any of you are considering vacations to Asia after this is done and the plane rates are still cheap, Busan Harbor, South Korea, you will not regret it. Interesting. Well, I have a, so, yeah, wow, okay, so, so what was, like, being in the military, like, given that you have dealt with depression and anxiety, like, did that come into play at all? It did at parts. So some of it was actually very beneficial. I mentioned earlier, like I am a very routine-driven person, but I didn't know that until I joined the Army. Okay. And I ended up thriving in that environment. Oh, cool. Um, there were parts of it that I did not thrive in, though. I have definitely my whole life dealt with... I feel like it's a combination of imposter syndrome and a fear of failure because I could probably tell you every mistake I have ever made going back to the fourth grade. So you have, you, yeah, you have a mind that can't, like your mind doesn't. I can't let go. Yeah. You were, but you like were able to like thrive in that. So did it, was it hard? Like, so did you like, so how do you feel about it? Like now, like, so how do I guess, how did you end up leaving the military? So I ended up thriving under the way that everything was scheduled and routined. Um, I am not a very physical person. Why I ever thought, you know, let's go do the army is beyond me. Because if you ask my mother, I've never actually completed a gym class. I've just cried my way through it. I have to be honest. Like, I like was just so shocked when I heard that that was what was happening. Not in a bad way. Really, in a quite inspired way, because I was like, that is, like, something that she really must have been called to do, and now I'm finding out that you were, so. There are people today who I mentioned the Army, and they're like, no, you weren't. Like, yeah, they're like, no, can you prove it? You were not. Look at you. Look at what you say. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, anyone who knows me, I am a very openly left-wing person which is not what a lot of people think of when they think of active duty soldiers so yeah that's what I I'm kind of I have that back in the um in the back of my mind so I have to ask did how did you how do you still have that like did the military try to hammer that out of you or like what like how'd that go so that was actually one of the things that made me so unsettled with the military mm-hmm. is when you go to work like people who aren't in the army civilians when you go to work you're at work your boss could tell you what you're doing when you're there but when you come home 
you're kind of you. Like, you're not, you don't belong to your boss 24-7. Right. I, I was never not at work. So it was what you can wear on your off time. Going to the beach with your friends, this is what you can wear. You can't do this, this, or this. How you could cut your hair, what you can eat, when you could eat, what you can say was my biggest one. So you were allowed to have whatever opinion you wanted, yeah. but you absolutely could not share it. Yeah. Just that consistent control. If I described the army as a person, y'all would be screaming at me to get out of an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, though, you know, what I'm, in my experience personally, I worked for a tobacco company for uh, six months. I will say there that I, it's funny you use that analogy, because when I was trying to leave the company, it was very much like leaving, like trying to leave an abusive relationship. That's what I would compare it to, because... When you work for a company like that, they have they pay for everything. You know, they pay for your your car, they give you your car, they have your gas. They they actually require you to relocate for the job. So it's like now you're like in a new place and you're reliant on their car, their gas, like every like they pay for your internet, your cable, like it's just everything. And then once once I was like, they knew I was kind of trying to leave because I had issues with the way things were going, um, a story for another time, but I, then they would, they, they all kind of knew about my student loan issue and they, they would remind me of it. So, and, and then it would kind of be like, well, we, like a few weeks and you might be getting like a bonus here. Like, it was just very, very difficult to like pull the final straw and then be like, okay, I'm out of here. Like, it's just, it's wild how you can get like, you just don't realize it. And when, and that was at night, I was expected to like always be like on call and to sell cigarettes. Like, why do we have to be on call to sell cigarettes? Like, it's so bizarre. Honestly, I see so many similarities between the two, but I know um, in your case, your coworkers weren't that amazing to you, if I remember correctly, right? So, um, so well, some, yeah, it, it was like a no, no. Actually, I would say like the opposite. I would say that we were all kind of trying to fight a system that we couldn't be, that couldn't really be fought, but everybody had their own hard when you're in a group like in a setting like that because there were so many people that were looking at me and um the situation that I was in was dangerous like I was in inner city and like I, I really feared for my safety so it, it really came down to like me just being like I, it's not safe for me to do my job so a lot of my co-workers understood that but they were also making a very good salary and they had families that were depending on that very good salary so once your hands are kind of tied like that, like it's, it's like every man for himself. So it, it's like, I actually had a lot of support from coworkers, but it was just, they couldn't really fight the system. Yeah, that's what I was trying to caveat into actually for as horrible as the U S army is as a system, mm-hmm. you absolutely cannot beat the people in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People that I don't want to call it brotherhood because I think that's a little sexist, but that 
second family that you get. It, it's trauma bonding. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, it's definitely trauma bonding. Yeah, absolutely. But it's and these people are amazing. Absolutely incredible. There were so many times when I was in... So I lived in Oklahoma, Arizona, and South Korea. And in all three places, I had breakdowns. <laughs> Absolute breakdowns. Wow. And all three places, there was always someone there to to listen, to help, to just shoulder everything with you. And they've known you six weeks, barely. <laughs> wow. Like, I can't these people's middle names. But I could tell you about their parents and every trauma they have gone through. And you kind of skip those introductory parts of friendships and go right to lifelong friends. And yeah. I think that's a really, really interesting part of the Army, and it's something that I loved deeply about it. Um, I don't regret joining the Army yeah. at all. Uh, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah. But I wouldn't stop either. Well, I feel like, um, you know, I feel like there's, like, a spiritual uh, reasoning for you to be there. So I, I get that, but I also get wanting to, you know, move on from that. And that's how I feel about, you know, the people that were in the company for me because I had a lot of, like, breakdowns and moments where I was like, oh, this really sucks. They were there for me. So I totally understand that. Um, and I think, like, honestly, that can be translated to life. Like, this life is so out of our control, and a lot of times I just think it's the people that we're, like, taking the journey with that make it worth it. So, yeah. There's so. a... I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a, a really lovely analogy that I read once, and I wish, I wish I could credit the author, but I do not remember her name. Road trips are never about the drive. They're about the company. So true, though. I love that. It is, though. That's, like, what keeps you going, like, in my in my opinion. So I have to ask then. So now you're in school. You're studying English. What is life like for you post-military? Do you still struggle from, like, the anxiety or, like, depression? Or how's that going? Those struggles are still there. I deal with them in a different way now, which is a lot of... Um... I turned into a bit of a workaholic. I kind of, and it worked better in person. Like, it's so much harder to be a workaholic staring at your computer when Netflix is just a tab away. Yeah. But, as you mentioned earlier, we met in the poetry scene. Mm -hmm. um, when I first went there, their poetry class with the head of the English department was full up. Wow. My advisor, after um, ad drop week, which is when people can change classes in and out, things that don't fit their schedule, things that... They thought they needed that they didn't. There was one seat left. And he's like, get over to the English department as soon as you can and get your name on the list. So I ran a mile and a half. <laughs> Chunky. I, I do not wear sensible shoes ever. I am high heels until the day I die. I am 5'3". I refuse to be 5'3". Oh, my God. To get this last uh, seat. And I did. And I wasn't supposed to take the class. It is a sophomore and junior class. I cried and begged my way in <laughs> with the director and his secretary. I'm like, please, please. He waved it for me for the other thing. I'm not 18. I'm 21. I'm a vet. Like, I, I can handle this, please. <laughs> so. 
Oh, so okay. First of all, I think maybe that's the that's why you had to join the army, because you had to like train yourself to be able to run to make it into that class, and you did. <laughs> so, like, how's the class? Like, is it worth it? It's amazing. It <laughs> is amazing. It's hard. It's so hard. And oh my god, my whole life I never understood people who were like, I don't like poetry, and like, you know what? I get it now. <laughs> when you do finally get to the meaning? Absolutely. And I think that's the joy of poetry and of writing in general. And it's why I encourage so many people, um, especially those who struggle to relate to this world, which I think a lot of people with mental struggles do. Um, we kind of always see ourselves as, I don't want to say us versus them, but us among them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that writing in literature as a whole really connects that because especially with poetry it is so ambiguous that a piece written in 1903 could ring home so hard for someone sitting here in 2020 being like i feel alone and i feel like no one else feels like me absolutely there's some guy from 117 years ago being like nah fam i got you here you go (laughs) <laughs> I know. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, like in the in the episode like a few episodes I did uh it was right when, you know, coronavirus was just uh starting to hit the US, I guess. And I I thought of a quote by uh Van Gogh and he was a prolific writer and I like I feel like now it just keeps coming up in all these episodes but I re- like he said something to me um or not to me but <laughs> it spoke to me about um he says we are all subject to the circumstances and maladies of our time whether we like it or not obviously that was in like the late 1800s and like it's so relevant now like it's just you know we're subject to what happens to us and it's it is what it is and like the way you said it earlier actually before you corrected yourself yeah because though you said it abroad you found it in 2020 and had such a connection to it mm-hmm. you might as well have just said it to you and i think that's the power of literature yeah. In general, the power of writing is just being able to speak to people so far away, whether it's distance or time or anything. Yeah, I'm so with you. So do you, so, and then the other example I'm kind of thinking of too is like I've been listening to a podcast about uh, the fall and rises of civilization, the rises and fall. I always say it wrong, um, and it's about. How, like, I mean, that's what it's about, like, these ancient civilizations, but what I really like about the podcast is they, they do a good job of speaking of the literature and the poems that were written during that time, and they are very relatable. Do you have any examples of maybe ones that you have read, maybe a short one recently, that you were like, wow, like, that resonates? If not, that's cool, too. I 
I do. I'm just struggling to remember the name of it right now. Oh, you don't um, need to do that. Like, you, it could be a paraphrase. There was a piece that I had read for this poetry class, actually. And the way that this class works is it's kind of like a book club mm-hmm. where we all sit in a really big circle. And there's certain poems that our professor, um, his name's Dr. Vogel, he's amazing, um, will pick out and be like, hey, these are the ones that you could write about. There's ten. We're going to talk about, like, seven of them. And there's one that going through trying to write a paper at, you know, 11.59 when it's due at 4 p.m. the next day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was about a man in World War One going through and talking about um, mustard gas and just the people that were around him and what he had to see and then coming back home afterwards and hearing all these people be like, oh, no, you know, we have to tell our children there's glory in war, there's glory in being a soldier, like it's the best of the best, like to die for your country is the most noble of things. Mm. And the point of the poem is being like, if you saw what I saw, y'all would not be saying that shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I was lucky. I didn't, I was not infantry. I was not frontline. I had an intelligence job. I told the infantry people where to go and who they were going for and stuff like that. So. Yeah, but there's a truth in that that you know that is, I mean... You know, I, I don't I don't know because I haven't been there, but I've read some books about intelligence in the military, and I know that you you know some things that maybe you wish you wouldn't. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I think that, you know, maybe you're not on the front line, so you're not getting the physical trauma maybe, but there's a mental trauma there, at least from some of the things I've read, so... It's tough. And it's definitely been a time. Um, I'm thankful I cope with it very, very well. I know a lot of people, I actually lost uh, three people that I went to basic training with mm-hmm. and um, advanced individual training, which is um, the basic training. Everyone gets taught the same stuff. It's like the, the grunt work. And then AIT, advanced individual training, is where they teach you how to do your job like, what you signed up for specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost three people from those. Um, two of them were by their own hand. Oh. Over. So, like, it's... Yeah, the... Uh, yeah. It's just such a... For people who went through almost the same thing I did and just ended up somewhere else and just could not cope. Mm-hmm. And... I I don't want to say I, I don't blame them, but the uh, one thing that for as huge, ungodly huge, unfathomably huge as our military budget is, they do not use a lot of that money to allocate for mental health services, which I think is one of the biggest things that they need to. Um, a lot of them are... You can go and talk, but you're now risking your job, your security clearance, everything that you do. Like, what my job was, was I had very, very high, very specific clearances, things that are very, very hard to get. So if I was to ever go to their mental health facilities and be like, hey, 
I suffer from depression. I suffer from suicidal ideation. Like, I have a problem. The first thing they do is pull your clearance, and you really can't get that back. Oh, boy. Which stops so many people from being able to go and actually get help, because that fear is always there, that fear of... Which is really, like, so sad. (laughs) It's, It's insane. Well, because people can probably do their jobs better if they had those resources. So it just, for me, it's so counterintuitive. But I get, so so I have to say then, like, so I have to ask then, what, how, like, how do you, how do you, how did, how do you get by? Like, how do you do it? Like, with knowing, you know, you've lost friends to this you said you had uh, suicide ideations from a very early age. So, like, how do you, what do you do? Do you still get those thoughts? Or, like, how do you, what's your meaning to all of that? To this day, I unfortunately still suffer with that a lot. I am very thankful I am finally at a point where ideation is just ideation and there is no actionability there. It's more intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Through the military itself, there's a reason that we have a drinking problem. <laughs> like, yeah, people just drown it for however long their contract is and try to figure it out later. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. I think I uh, I saw that a lot in the industry I was in as well. Um, so do you? So now that you're home and you're okay. So first of all, I do want to say like I give you so much credit. So like you have had side ideation throughout all of this, and I actually just spoke uh, with the episode before this one um, with somebody who had the same. And I just want to reiterate that I really do be- like, and I have those things. So I I don't I know what you mean when you say like now they're not really like actionable because. When I was younger, like, I just don't think I understood that, like, you can have a thought and not act on it, I guess. And so it took me a long time to be able to slow myself down. So that's, like, when I was younger, it was, like, a lot of the cutting. And, like, I, you know, I just felt a genuine fear from those thoughts because I didn't know at that time that I had the power to not act on them, if that makes sense. Um But now, you know, as I am older and as, like, more time goes by and as I go through more situations in life where I have these thoughts um, and I get through them anyway, I feel like they do just become thoughts. However, they're still very real in the moment and they fucking suck. So I really do believe, like, the true heroes, like, there are a lot of heroes in this world, but I think some of them are the people who have these thoughts and then continue to do their lives anyway because you're literally every day fighting your own brain. Like, and so that's, like, life is already tough and now you have your own fucking brain that you need to deal with too. So I think the most... The most helpful way I have ever seen it, and I think as soon as I kind of picked up this mentality about it, things got a lot easier, and I hope that either you or someone who listens to this can relate and just make that little bit of impact there is. Mm -hmm. I never liked thinking about it as if it came from me, because I was always like, well, God, I know myself better than anyone else knows me. So if I think I'm this awful, horrible person who just 
cannot cope and cannot be here and just can't do basic things and I should just end it all. Mm -hmm. I must be right. It's me. I always, I got into this mentality of thinking of those thoughts and that side of my brain as someone or something else. Because at the end of the day, if you have someone who is someone else who is mean and spiteful and just awful to you all the time, you eventually kind of get fed up with them and you kind of just stop caring what they have to say. You're like, yes, you're just a negative, horrible person and you don't have an impact on my life. So I'm just going to do all this shit to spite you and make you more mad. Uh Yeah, yeah. Being able to think of that voice in your head that's telling you that you're this awful, worthless thing as just being this outside bully who's just annoying is so nice because then you have something to rally against instead of something to fight against. It's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to do this because you said I can't and you're an idiot. So what do you know? Yes. (laughs) I relate on so many levels. Yeah, I, so the first thing that, there's like two things that are coming to mind and it's that I I have anxiety, like really pretty bad anxiety. I mean, I, I do feel like at this point it's in a better place, which is wild because the world is on fire, but um, I think that it, like a lot of people kind of tend to look at the things that I do in life, like I'm very outspoken and I am able to read my poetry and just like stuff like that. And they're like, how can you possibly have anxiety? But it's just that I have it and I decide to do things anyway, I guess. And I think that there's, so there's a power to that. And I think that it's really cool. That's when people think about people with mental health problems being superheroes and having superpowers, like, I think that's it. Like, the ability to, you know, overcome that thought and that fear again and again, like, that makes you stronger. So that's definitely one part. And the other part is I had a therapist once that, and she's online as Dr. Lauren, and she, like, posts things that are really helpful. So definitely follow her if you, if anyone's listening. She would have me name my anxiety, so that was essentially, like you said, like giving it like its own identity outside of myself. I came up with the name Crabs, um, and it, <laughs> which is so random, but it's because like if you put crabs in a bucket and then you know one tries to climb out, the rest of the crabs are gonna just like take it back in, you know, like it's just gonna. And I just felt like that was um my anxiety like it was like every time I try to get out of something it would just pull me back so I know that I can kind of defeat that so I really do relate to what you're saying and I find it to be helpful as well so sorry I'm still stuck on somewhere in there there's a joke about having crabs I just can't figure out how to word it (laughs) (laughs) well you're like so yeah so you're super witty are you still writing your poetry not nearly as much as I used to when I was younger, but I am still writing. Um, I actually just very, very recently, you know, wonderful timing. I get back into open mics, and then open mics are like, no, no, that can't happen again. Shut down the world. Coronavirus. Let's go. No one could be around <laughs> together. Nope. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. 
I went out to an open mic in Allentown, no, Bethlehem, a couple of weeks ago. And I originally just went to go support the other people there. Um, I had some friends on the mic, and they were like, hey, come out. Like, we haven't seen you. You live near here now? I'm like, sure. Yeah. I get there, and they're like, ha-ha, you're here. You have to read things now. And I'm like, I am so disgustingly unprepared. No, I haven't thought about this in years. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's my birthday, and you will do as I say. So... <laughs> I went back up, and I did the thing, and I was like, oh, I missed this. And my anxiety had gotten me for a while because I was out of the scene for so long with the Army. Because Mm -hmm. two places were, you can't leave this base, and the other one was like, well, you can go to open mics, but they're all in Korean. Yeah, yeah, that's a challenge. So finally, I was just like, no, I've been out for too long, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years, I haven't, or not 10 years, I'm at like 7 or 8 now, I started when I was like 14, but uh, I was like, no, it's it's been too long, you've been in too long, nothing's ever happened, like, you're bad at this, just stop, just give it up, and I was like, no, fuck it, it is my friend's birthday, and if they want me to read poetry, I'm gonna read poetry, and... See, though, that's how it happens. Yeah, I think depression and anxiety and mental health struggles in general kind of keep trying to take the things that we love and make us feel like we can't do them. And it's okay to give yourself a break. It's okay to, like, let that win for a little bit and just try to recoup. Mm-hmm. But don't ever let it actually take it. Take it. When you want to go back, you go back. Always. Always. <laughs> I love this. That's so cool. I so yeah, like when because when I left Wisconsin, like I didn't want to do poetry. I was the same way as you, and I li- I was in a very um. It seems like, you know, kind of like a similarly, in ways, oppressive situation. And then once you know, I was out. I was afraid to use my voice, and like I still even get afraid to talk about it, because I signed like non disclosure agreements. People tend to, like, think with tobacco companies, like, oh, they have bigger fish to fry. But the truth of the matter is that they have um, a lot of resources. So uh, they they do have, like, the ability to kind of assert their power. And they do have some links to, uh, you know, taxes, and, and that helps our economy. So there is a lot there of ties. And so, yeah, once I was done, I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know why that translated over to poetry for me. Um, but I really became apprehensive of being in front of people and performing. And I think that, um, I think I just wound up having this opportunity and a friend kind of like being similar in a way of like really urging me. And I was like, you know what, I'll just do it one time. And then you're, you feel that again and you're like, oh my God, I I feel the value in this again. You realize how much you missed it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I definitely feel that. So I guess I, I mean, I have like a lot of the questions I feel like you've cleared up for me I wanted to ask you like in in your like most desperate times you know like maybe when you're triggered and uh you do have some of these like suicide ideation how do you get through that what keeps you hanging on 
So the way that I cope, so in general, if it's more of a, I don't want to say passing thought, but ones that are just like, oh, wow, you suck at this. You should probably just off yourself. Mm-hmm. It's more what I talked about earlier, where you're just like, nope, this is another person being an asshole and they can go fuck themselves. But when it's a lot and it's really heavy, um, this is kind of dark, unfortunately, but I am a very, and I think a lot of people, especially people with anxiety can relate. We're very much about other people or just, you know, the, the flaw, well, I guess it's not a flaw, but the silver lining of anxiety is being a bit of a people pleaser yeah. and just trying to make everyone else just so happy all the time that I think about what would happen if I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a 13-year-old sister. Yeah. So I'm like, no, like, you do, you can't do that. You cannot. As much as me and her don't really get along, I mean, it's, God, almost 10-year age gap. No. <laughs> Yeah. But, and for as stressed as my relationship is with my family, we just lost my grandfather recently. Like, it's like, no, you, you can't add on to these things. Yeah. And even when there isn't other stressors out there, it's like, well, we're in a good place. Do you want to make that not good for everyone else? Like. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, uh. <laughs> That's why I feel like love, honestly, I feel like love is one of the strong, like, is, I personally think, the strongest force in life because it is, um, that's love, like, and so you, you really, like, think about your sister, but, like, you said you don't really get along, but you still, like, in those moments really can, you know. I don't get to take that relationship from her. I don't. That's not something that I am allowed to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to what we were talking about before. Like, it's like the the people that you're on the journey with. And, you know, sometimes I think that's why we have anxiety, because if we didn't, then, like, maybe we wouldn't be here. So it's just, like, everything kind of works, like, hand in hand. I wanted to ask you on a personal level how the quarantine is treating you. Oh my god, I have never hated anything more in my entire life. <laughs> I am not by any stretch of the imagination a people person. Um, I don't I am not the I'm not the type who would have usually been like, Oh, you know, let's go party, let's go out, let's go to this, let's go do that. But my biggest coping mechanism I have ever found with um they call them bad head days. Or just a head day where you're in your head a lot and it's just not great. Yeah. I go to the movies. I just, I go to the movies and I sit in the dark with a bunch of other people who are not allowed to talk to me. And I eat candy and popcorn and I watch movies because I love them. Mm-hmm. And that, or I go and I take my laptop or my phone, my earbuds, and I go sit in a Starbucks and just people watch. Like, I... My coping mechanism is to be with people, but not interact with them in the least. Yeah, yeah, I get so that. So now, not being able to do that is so just, I've had a coping mechanism for 20 years that I now can't use. 
So, you know, yeah. I never knew I wasn't going to be able to use this, so I never thought of any other one. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that from some other people as well, and... And a friend of mine works at Curry, and, you know, they have to let, the, like, Curry Donuts, and it's like, there's a lot of people that go there for their social interaction, or just to have coffee in the morning, and, like, he's like, the, the like, way that they feel when we have to tell them that they can't do that is tough. Like, it's really tough. You know, people are annoyed at us because we're trying to, like, you know, help them in some way, and they're like, you should just shut down, but it's just like, this is, like, the livelihood of, of some people like this is and like I know you have livelihood outside of that but it's just like that does help people like people like that like they and yeah so that is hard and I think that brings up one of the things that um I was I think I messaged you about earlier how I want to talk about um mental health over physical health especially in times like this yes where we're looking at things and saying like well, I can go outside and I might get coronavirus and I might die. Or I can stay in here with me and I'll definitely die. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think the small ways of being able to get out of these small controlled environments of your house and even in some places your apartment, your neighborhood, your room, is if you can go for a drive... You're not touching anyone. You're not talking to anyone. Go drive. Bring some paper towels that you could wrap around your hand if you have to gas up. Go. The parks are closed, but it's a sign. If you want to go walk around the circle of your park and not touch anything, hide in the bushes if the cops come or just pretend to cough. They won't come up to you. (laughs) Like, take as many small outings as you can. Because... Your environment controls a lot of what you think and how you feel. So if you're feeling sad in a room, that room is intentionally just, those are the vibes of that room now. You've made it a sad room. You need to leave the sad room and let those vibes disappear. (laughs) Definitely. I love that. I love that. I mean, I think you're right, and I think we, I've been personally panicking a little bit about going grocery shopping, but it's just like, you know, you got to get food, and you have to just, like, like, we can take precautions, but, like, it's like, the virus is out there, you know, so, like, you can, I don't know, I'm just of the belief that when it's my time, it's my time, and, like, I'm not taking it lightly, I'm not taking coronavirus lightly, I'm not having any parties or cookouts at my house, but, like, it's just... There are certain human things that, you know, are needs, and we have to also realize that we can't just stop doing them. Exactly, and for coronavirus will obviously make you way, way sicker, but for as much as trying to save your physical health, bad mental health affects your physical health. You feel tired, you feel groggy, your head hurts, your stomach hurts, you get those weird body aches that are like... I can put as much, like, essential oil massage oil on my shoulders as I want. It's not actually my muscles. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Being able to feel physically well comes from being able to feel mentally well. And I think that's something that a lot of people are forgetting right now because we are so focused on coronavirus. And with good reason. I mean, there's 3,000 people who weren't dead two weeks ago who are now. And that scares a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. For sure. 
But you're right, though. And that's, like, helpful for me because I feel like I am not, like, exercising as much as I really honestly should be. And I don't know why. Like, I can't bring myself to do it. But there's no good excuse. Like, I'm not just, I'm not, like, I can't, I know that I have the resources. I know I can do it. But I'm just, like, no. I think that's the other thing that a lot of people are being afflicted by right now is the I've had it. I've had people be like, oh, well, you have so much time now. You could write. You can make things. You could do all this artistic expression that you didn't have time for at school. And it's like, no, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to watch Netflix. And I'm going to do the bare minimum I need to, you know, get my degree. Yeah. And I do nothing more because I am tired. (laughs) And that tiredness is a trauma response. It's we can't control any of this. So right now, if you're not doing anything, that's okay. Yeah. There is no need. There is no, and there are those people that you see, especially right now. My Instagram feed is full of people being like, oh, I woke up at six this morning and I have my somehow super rainbow cool smoothie. And it's like, how, how many trips to the grocery store have you made for this stuff? Right. Right. Doing amazing things and like. Personally, I get very, very comparative. I am very, well, if they can do it, you can do it. And it's like, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It is okay to get through this. However you get through it, at the end of the day, if you survive coronavirus, you've won. You haven't won any more than anyone else who has spent this time exercising or painting or writing or doing. You both live, and that's what's important. I love that. Well, Maddie, I have honestly, I'm so grateful. Your insight is really something valuable. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk. Yeah, anytime. And um, do you have, like, anything else? Like, I've asked my questions. I think you've just asked yours, and um, that was a really awesome way to bring it in. So thank you. But did you have anything else? I think I'm good. I don't yeah. think there's much else. I'll plug my Instagram at Queen Maddie Blake if anyone wants to follow me for poetry stuff. <laughs> Definitely, and I will add the link to the show notes as well, so they can find you. But thank you. Um, I'm gonna stop recording now. Well, thank you, Maddie, for sharing your story. Uh, definitely. So many words of wisdom there. Uh, This week, the recommendation that I have is to take a bit of Maddie's advice and take some time to think about um, whatever mental health struggle you may have and to give it a name. And then maybe spend the week thinking about it um, when you see these like feelings start to arise, you feel anxiety, you feel depressed... kind of giving that a name and identifying it that way, maybe that might work for you. Um, The other recommendation I have for you is to look up some literature from previous centuries. And if you come across any that you think are relatable to uh, anything we've talked on the show, really, please come over to uh, the How We Get By Facebook page and post that for me. 
I recognize that I'm asking a lot of work for you and uh, we don't like to do our own stuff, let alone somebody else's, but I think it would be an interesting experiment if anybody's interested. Other than that, I uh, do want to take a minute to thank everybody who has listened to the show, everybody who has uh, been willing to be interviewed for the show. It's been really amazing. Um, It's been a great project, and with the quarantine happening, um, it's been a really great way for me to focus my energy. I really enjoy the idea of bringing stories out of people that need to be told and providing the platform for people to share them uh, with those who need to hear them. So I'm really grateful for everybody who has jumped on board with this little experiment. I do want to say that, you know, if you're interested in making a one-time donation, you can reach out to me at my email address, howwegetby.podcast at gmail.com or through the Facebook page in order to get equipment to uh, easy, more easily produce these shows. But honestly, uh, more than, you know, any kind of donation or monetary gift, the real thing that you can do to help out this show is just to simply share it. Um, sharing it through Facebook or even just word of mouth, that's how these stories uh, will kind of find their way through the community and hopefully provide help to others. So um, if you want to help out the show, the most valuable way for me would be for you to simply just share it with a friend that you think can benefit from it. Uh, Do remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The music that you hear at the beginning and the end of the episode is by Joe Burke. His music is available through all streaming sites and also through Bandcamp for purchase. Other than that, I think that is it. And I hope you have a beautiful, safe, and healthy week. (music) 